God, we thank you for another opportunity this side of eternity to open the book of books, the bread of life, and to eat from the words that proceed from the mouth of God. We need your touch this morning, O oh God, for except you touch us, we cannot preach. We must have an unction from the Holy One. Would you minister to us and through us today, O oh God, and take the abilities that you've given to this unworthy vessel and use them for your glory and honor, that the church might be blessed and edified and strengthened in righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Praise God. Well, to put it mildly, these are unprecedented times. The church has never lived in a time like we're living in right now, and I know that's a simple statement, but it, it is extraordinary that we have come to a time when we are dealing with circumstances that are so adverse to advancing the kingdom of God. We know that Jesus said that the uh, kingdom would not come until the gospel had been preached unto all the world. And I myself believe that God intervened and brought us to this place of technological advance so that that scripture could be fulfilled. For it's possible now for a person to stand in one place and address the whole world. In my grandfather's time, that was not possible. In my dad's time, for the most of his life, that was not possible. But most of our lives that we're sitting right here, it has been possible. And the Bible tells us that the Word must be preached to every available person. And the Bible also tells us that the time of the Jacob's trouble, the time of tribulation, the time that we know is in the future, will not happen until that event takes place, the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. Now, who in the world did he charge to be responsible for that task? It's the church of the Lord Jesus. We're the ones that he said, go into all the world and preach. And he said, and the end will not come until it is preached. So we need to be about our Father's business, don't we? That business of preaching the gospel and getting the word to every person that Jesus is right for whatever's wrong. That Jesus is the answer for all of mankind. That every longing heart will find satisfaction in coming to the person of the Lord Jesus. He satisfies and every need he supplies. He is a God who touches us at the point of our need. Look with me to Luke chapter 21. It is a, a sister passage to Matthew 24. And we know that these two passages oftentimes are misquoted and misdirected into believing that one applies to the other. And actually, they, they are separate and they're distinct. There is a coming that we know to be the rapture of the church. And all of us know that is the catching away of the saints. At the rapture of the church, the Lord Jesus will not come back to this earth. He will stop somewhere in midair. And the Bible tells us that the first time we encounter Jesus, the first occasion of fellowship with him bodily will be in the air. The Bible said the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, voice of the archangel and the trump of God. Dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. 
So that is a, a very, very prominent uh, teaching, and that is called the catching away of the saints. In theological terms, it's called the parousia. That means that the Lord is going to come back to gather his jewels. In that day that I make up my jewels, they shall be mine. So we're looking forward right now to that event of being caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That will be reunion time. Praise God. That will be the time when we will, along with all of those people that have gone before us, receive their glorified body and rise first. They will initiate, they will start this occasion that we call the rapture of the church when the dead in Christ begin to rise with glorified bodies fashioned like unto his own glorious body. Can you give God a great big hand clap of praise for the fact that there's going to be a rapture of the church and a catching away of the saints? So there is another event that we call the second coming of Christ. That second coming of Christ is found in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. And John said, I saw there, uh, the heavens were open. And he said, I saw a white horse. And I saw one that was seated upon that white horse that was called Faithful and True. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp two-edged sword. Upon his thigh was a name written, Lord of Lords. Amen. And that we know to be the Lord Jesus. And we know that the second coming of Christ is different then from our catching away experience. So we've got actually two advents there that are separated by at least seven years of what we call tribulation period. So we're right now advancing toward that event that we call the rapture of the church. And the, the Bible tells us that he will come at that occasion as a thief in the night. In other words, there'll be no announcement of it. There'll be, uh, he'll come like a thief. Now, I want to ask you this. Why does a thief come to your home? Does he come to take out your trash? Does he come to get in your office and look at your notes that you've scribbled? Does, does he go to the message board on your side your phone and try to read the message? No. What does he come to do? He comes to take the most valuable thing you've got. Amen. Isn't it great to know that the most valuable thing this world has is the people of God? The most valuable thing this world has is the salt and light that we know to be the church of the living God. Praise God. Isn't that great to know that you make up that most valuable thing? But Jesus tells us that that church, before that time comes, will go through a, a lot of stress and there will be attacks of the devil. Let's read. The Bible says they're at church. They're, did you know Jesus believed in going to church? The Bible said when he returned Linda out of the wilderness of temptation, the Bible said as his custom was, as his custom was, he went to the house of God. He went to the temple. In other words, he was a churchgoer. He was in the habit of going to God's house. And it's there that he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me. The power of the Holy Spirit. They're at church, and that is, means the temple, and they're gathered, and Jesus has postulated himself in a very 
strategic position so he can see who are giving in the offering. And they're bringing it up and depositing into the, the treasury. And the Bible said, the first verse says, and he looked up and he saw rich people, wealthy people, casting their gifts into the treasury. And he also saw a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said of a truth, I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all put together. For all of these have of their abundance cast in unto the offerings of God, but she out of her penury. That's a word from which we get pennies. She didn't have dollars. She had pennies. Out of her penury, out of her poverty, out of her small amount, out of her little substance, out of her poverty, she hath cast in all of the living that she had. Can anybody say all that she had? Brother, when she gave all that she had, it might have been little to a lot of folks, but it was a whole lot to her. It meant everything to her. And the Bible said Jesus uh, appraised that situation, and he said, this lady is a lady of great faith. She is not worried about tomorrow. She's not worried about next week. She's not worried about anything but right now and she's giving all that she's got to God amen because she trusts God to take care of her tomorrow have you ever given all that you had have you ever exhausted yourself of resources in order to give an offering to God I often say when God is all you've got he'll be all you need when God is first in your life and when you trust him so much that you're willing to empty yourself of resources so that God can be praised. That's a tremendous item of faith. Some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts. Everybody looked around like they would in this building. They said, boy, what pretty, pretty windows. What great pictures there are. And boy, these comfortable seats. It's easy to snooze through pastor's sermon in this comfortable seat. Boy, and this, this beautiful hardwood floor, this beautiful choir and, and all that is arrayed here, isn't this such a beautiful place? And Jesus looked around at the place, which was the temple. And Jesus said, I'm telling you, there's coming a time when there will not be left one stone on another stone in this temple. Wow. As for these things which you're looking at, the day will come in the which there shall not one stone be left upon another, and every one will be thrown down. And they ask him, saying, Master, when shall these things be? And what sign will there be when these things come to pass? And Jesus said this, Take heed that no man deceive you. You mean the first indication that you're headed toward that event is deceitfulness? And you don't know, really know who's telling the truth. Well, I want to tell you, we're in a situation like that right now. And it opens the door to all kinds of, of speculation and all kinds of, of hysterical uh, information. I heard a renowned epidemiologist this last week make this statement. 
we are all on the Titanic, and it's time to tell the band to start playing. Now, if you were feeling good before you heard that, you probably got a good, good shaking. We're on the Titanic. We're going down. It's sinking, and it's time to tell the band to start playing nearer my God to thee. Well, needless to say, I got off of that talking head pretty quick and happened to go over to a sports radio, and there was a Dr. Cunningham, I believe was his name, and he was a renowned epidemiologist also, and he was talking about how that it was safe for football players to play football. So we got one sinking, and we got one scheduling a game. Hard to tell the difference, isn't it? Hard to tell the difference. A few months ago, we had people tell us, by June, this will all be over. It'll all be done. You can forget about it. We'll go back to normal by June. Well, we're now here in August, and they tell us that the numbers are still rising. So you, you sit here and scratch your head, and you say, well, what is the truth? What am I to believe? How am I going to proceed? Well, let me tell you this. If you're depending upon earthly means to determine whether you're going to be happy or sad, whether you're going to win or lose, whether you're going to be up or down, whether you're going to make it or not make it, then you're in a very sad predicament. But there is one who said, I don't just know the truth, I am the truth. And I don't just know the way, I am the way. I don't just know about life, I am the life. And he said, if any man, woman, boy, or girl will trust in the Lord Jesus, his saving grace, his keeping ability, you'll not be disappointed. Because he is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. And he said, take heed that you be not deceived. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. And the time draw near. Go ye not therefore after them. And when you hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified. For these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. Then said he unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Earthquakes shall be in divers places, famines, pestilence. COVID-19 is a pestilence. It's a disease. It is a pestilence. And fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. But before all of these, they shall lay hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and to prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my namesake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. It shall, in other words, bring about an opportunity for you to make a statement. It will be for you a testimony. Well, a testimony can't be a testimony until it's first a test. And right now we're right in the middle of a test. 
Tim Tebow tweeted it this week. He said, the church has the greatest opportunity right now to stand for right and to proclaim. Wow. <laughs> proclaim the faith. Earnestly contend for the faith. You see, that's something that we need to realize. That man's tragedy and man's calamity is God's opportunity. So, so, why art thou so disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. What's he doing? Talking to himself. Are you a self-talker? Do you talk to yourself? I won't ask you what you say. But sometimes you talk to yourself. I hear Don sometimes say, Don, you idiot. Usually after he misread a putt that broke the way he didn't think it was going to break. And the one thing that gets them all to leave one that short. One more revolution of the ball and it would have fell in. Stupid hit the ball. Have you ever called yourself stupid? Well, sometimes you probably should have. Ella Grace always corrects me, says, Papa, we can't say stupid. I started saying, go to church. <laughs> wow. Could it be that in these last days that God has provided opportunity for the church to make a statement, to be bold, to be brazen, to stand in the face of pessimism and be optimistic, to look distressed, tired, weary people in the face and say the answer is in the Lord Jesus and trusting God? Could it be that God has strategically placed us where we have this opportunity to make a difference? To make a difference. Now, we can be just like everybody else. And we can draw up in our little shell, and we can just kind of gloom and despair and agony on me. Or we can go about with a word of confidence. The Lord is the strength of my life. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear, or of what shall I be afraid? Come on, somebody. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. For the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Bible says, Susan, that the name of the Lord is a high tower, and the righteous run into it, and they are saved. The Bible said, this poor man called unto the Lord, cried out to God, and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all of his trouble. Boy, the church should be proclaiming good tidings of great joy because the nation that is perplexed, the nation that doesn't know what to do next, 
the nation that is depleted of resources on what to do or what needs to be done. And a thousand voices are screaming, do this, do that, don't do that, take away this, do that, do the other. But someone needs to be, thus saith the Lord. Someone with a voice that is anointed should stand and proclaim, trust God, keep his commandments, do the will of God, honor the Lord, live righteously and upright, be honest and sincere, do the things that God expects you to do. Would it be refreshing to hear that? Wouldn't it be refreshing? Look at verse 26. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken and then shall they see the son of man hallelujah then shall they see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory and when these things begin to come to pass then look up look up why don't we just do that all let's do it praise God that feels good for us all to be obedient to God at, at one time. Look up. Why should we look up? Why should we lift up our heads? For your redemption draweth nigh. And he spake to them a parable about the fig tree, and you can know the seasons of it. So likewise shall ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all of this be fulfilled. That's a very problematical verse right there. There are many different opinions and schools of thought of, about that, but it's nothing more than his answering their question. They ask him, when is all of this stones being torn down? When's that going to happen? When is this temple going to be taken apart? When is it going to come to pass when no stone will be left sitting on another stone? When is that going to happen? And Jesus said, this generation is not going to pass until that happens. And in A.D. 60, the Bible tells, the Bible doesn't tell us, Josephus tells us, and Tacitus tells us, and Eusebius tells us, and all of the historians of that first century tell us that there was a Roman general. How many of you went with me to Masada? Anybody here that went to Masada with me? Frank, did you go to Masada with me? Nope. Did you go to Masada with me? Hey, Masada is a place where in the Roman Jewish war, they had a place built up on a high peak called Masada. And they all fled to that place for, for refuge. And there was a Roman general whose name was Titus. And Titus led a group of soldiers and they wanted to defeat these Semitic Jews so badly that they started building a ramp. It took them years to build a ramp, but they finally succeeded in building a ramp so large and so high and so big that it got to Masada. But when they got to Masada, they found out they had all committed suicide and died by their own hand rather than die at the hand of the Romans. And it was at that time that they came and sacked Jerusalem. I mean, they plowed salt into the, the city of Jerusalem, the vineyards and all the olive trees and everything, they came in, cut everything down, and now it looks like a desert. Hard to imagine what it looked like before the Romans came and cut down all trees and destroyed everything there. 
But what they did also was they tore down the Jewish temple, Solomon's temple, and they destroyed it where, where there's nothing left there but the mount. They call it the temple mount now. So Jesus was saying, this generation will not pass until this temple is destroyed. And that was exactly what he was talking about. Not pass away. Heaven and earth, listen to what he said. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. And heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting. Have you ever been overcharged? Overcharged with surfeiting. Surfeiting, it comes from a, a Greek word which means that you're almost hysterical, that you're delusional to the point of anxiety. You've reached a place to where you're, you're drunk literally drunk on emotion. Your emotion is so high that you just can't cope with reality. That's what's surfeiting. What would cause you to do that? Drunkenness and the cares of this life. You mean you can get drunk on the cares of this life? You can become so emotionally overcharged that it will overwhelm you and get you to a place that you have panic attacks, that you're so overcome with fear, that you're overcome with dread and worry and frustration and doubt, that it makes you so numb feeling that you're like a drunk person. Not with alcohol, but drunk on the cares of this life. How am I going to pay this bill? What am I going to do with, with my uh, ailing parent? How am I going to do this? What am I going to do about that? I don't have money to do this or do that. How am I going to get? And sometimes people just wake up in the middle of the night screaming. Ah! Sometimes overcharged people make an emotional outcry. You see, Christian people should never get to the place that the cares of this life disorient you and make you so hysterical that you lose your connection with reality. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the earth. Watch therefore. Watch. How do I watch? By going to church and reading God's Word and praying spiritual prayers, singing spiritual songs, walking a walk of faith. That's watching. Well, I thought it meant watching somebody to make sure they're doing right. No, don't be watching other people. You'll get out of step. You'll miss it if you start watching other people. And let me tell you one of the great, great devices Satan uses to get you emotionally overcharged. Get ready for this? Comparing yourself to others. Well, God, I don't know why you don't love me as much as you love Karen. You do things for Karen that you won't do for me. Come on, somebody. God, God, I don't understand why Jack's garden grows and mine dies. 
God, I just don't understand it. I just, my, my, my little old paycheck don't last no time. And I see so-and-so, I, I see Glenda went and got her a brand new car. I'd like to have a new car, but I can't afford a new car. How'd you do it for Glenda, but you won't do it for me? Comparing. Listen, you need to stop that mess right now. The Bible said, therefore, having food and raiment, let us be content. In other words, if you're saved, anybody saved in the house? Saved. You got a home in heaven. You're an inheritance, got an inheritance that's laid up for you. You've got a, a, a body that is awaiting you, a body that will never have any pain, never know a care, never have sorrow, never have any kind of hurt or any kind of ailment. You got a body that's waiting on you that will never, ever die. The Bible said, neither can they die anymore, being the children of God and the children of the resurrection. You got a home in heaven. You got, got rejoicing. You've got, got peace. You got blessedness. And the Bible tells us that people that have those things are rich. In fact, the Bible calls a lot of people that have money in the bank poor. Are you kidding me, Pastor? How could someone that lives in a mansion and drive a $500,000 car, how would, why in the world would God call them poor? Why would God, God call them wretched? Why would God call them naked? Why would God call them blind? Why would God call them hungry? Because God does not look at wealth the way you look at wealth. God is not impressed by the size of your bank account. God is not impressed by the mortgage on your home. God is not impressed by the appraisal. God's not impressed by the model or the year or the make of what car you drive. He's not impressed by anything that we bring to him. God, aren't you impressed with me? I brought this over here for you to see. And God said, well, that's good, but are you sure you're where you need to be with God? Are you sure you're where you need to be? Are you prayed up? Amen. Do you have that relationship? Can you pray a red-hot prayer? How is your relationship with God? Watch, therefore, pray always. Well, Pastor, I, I love to pray, but I don't know if I can pray always. Well, we know what he's saying here. He's not saying that every minute of every day you, you're supposed to be talking in tongues or praying in the prayer language or shouting and running through the house. That's not what that's talking about. Prayer is communication with God. It's communion. Somebody say communion. Prayer is communion. Prayer is when your heart links up with the heart of God. Prayer is when your spirit links up with the spirit of God. Prayer is when your mind links up with the mind of God. Prayer happens when you reciprocate, and that flow goes back and forth between you and God. It's an encounter. It's a relationship. It's a time of fellowship with God. That's what prayer is. Well, Brother Jerry, I, I, I don't do too good at praying. I, I can't pray like other people do. Thank God. Amen. Thank God that you pray like you pray. Because there was a, a guy Jesus observed praying one day, told a parable about it, and there was this guy, and he must have been a ruler in the synagogue, must have been a, a, a ruler in the Sanhedrin, because he knew all the phrases, he knew all the beautiful, beautiful, flowing 
words and all of the things that go along with the verbal speaking, oratorical skills. God, I'm going to say something about God, be thanked that through you all peoples of the earth are blessed. I thank you that I am blessed in such a way that I am not like that publican over there. I thank you, God, that I pray three times a day. I thank you that I fast. I thank you that I tithe. I thank you that I do all of those things that should impress you very much. But the Bible said that the publican, the sinner, the despised one, smote himself upon the breast and said, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And the Bible said, and he went down to his house more justified than the Pharisee. What is that, that little saying of Jesus, that, that little story? How, what does that say to you, Pastor? It tells me that God is not impressed with words. It tells me that God doesn't have any big eyes and little U's. It tells me that God is not impressed by your credentials. Amen. But when we just simply come to God and realize our need of Him and realize our need of His grace and all the things that He does for us, then we're blessed beyond measure. What a time it is for us to live right now. Come on, Connor, and help me quit. And I'm just getting started, so I'm going to quit before I get really started. The next chapter, 22nd chapter of Luke, you find Jesus and the disciples in an upper room. And he's going through all of the things that he'd covered the day before in the, what is called the Olivet Discourse. And now he's talking to these disciples, and he's telling them, you will be hated by all men for my namesake. There's going to come a time, the Lord spoke to me when I was studying this today about a sermon I'm going to preach pretty soon about the hated church. The hated church. Jesus said, all men will hate you because of me. Well, what a, what a sermon that's going to be, Don. A hated church. You mean there's going to come a time when a church will be hated because of Jesus? Because they preach Jesus and they love Jesus and they serve Jesus and they sing songs to Jesus and they will be hated because they believe in Jesus? Jesus said there's going to come a time when they're going to hate you. All the world, all peoples will hate you because of me. Not because of you, but because of me. Paul said... Happy am I to suffer shame for his name. There's going to come a time when we will all, every one of us in this house, if you name the name of Jesus, you're going to be challenged about that. And because you're challenged about that, you'll wonder what you're going to say. Listen to this. Simon, Simon, the Lord said, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that thy faith fail not. 
And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. In other words, the Lord Jesus was looking to a time in the near future, knowing that he had to go to the cross, knowing that he had to suffer and die at Calvary, knowing that he was going to die a sacrificial death, and he knew the future for Peter as well. And he said to Peter, Peter, Satan has desired to have you. And the original Greek says he, he wants to own control over you. But Jesus said, don't worry, there's a devil, there's a Satan, but there's also a Savior. There is a Satan, and he is a destroyer. He's a thief, he's a liar, he is a murderer. He wants to take everything that is valuable to you and destroy it. He wants to take everything you love and kill it. He wants to take everything that you embrace and hold on to and tear it away from you. He wants to disappoint the heart of God by tempting and attacking you to the point that your faith would fail. And Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Peter, Satan hath desired to sift you like wheat. I could tell you that Greek word, but it would be Greek to you. You wouldn't know it. It means this, that a, a kernel consists of husk, and then it is the seed. And in biblical times, they would put the kernel into a stone basin and roll a stone around and crush, crush the seed until it is burst open. And the Bible said they would take that and they would agitate it. In other words, they would throw it up in the air like that, and the wind would blow the husk away, but it would leave the seed. Some of you don't realize when that attack is going on that God has a plan, that God has a purpose, that in the midst of all that crushing, Oh, there is some pain. The devil does inflict pain. I said the devil does inflict pain. Have any of you ever suffered because of the attack of the devil? Have any of you ever had pain, emotional pain, physical pain, because of the attack of the devil? Then you know about this crushing that I'm talking about. And then there comes that agitation. That agitation is about the in your inner person suffering from all that turmoil that's going on in your life. That crushing is a painful thing. Sometimes, sometimes you go through ordeals and you go through events and you go through episodes that just crush your spirit. But that all is known by God because you, you do have an enemy. He is an adversary, walks about seeking whom he may. You're awful quiet. Devour. In other words, he wants to kill you. He wants to wipe you out. He wants to take you out. He wants to put you in a grave. But not only do you have an adversary who is determined, you've got a friend who is faithful. 
a greater love hath no man than this that he would lay down his life for a friend. Yeah, we're right to sing what a friend we have in Jesus. We're right to say, I'm glad that G he calls me friend. I'm glad that Jesus is my constant companion. Yes, and that constant companion, Sam, that friend of mine is in the presence of God right now. And the Bible said he ever liveth to make intercession for me. He is right now alive on the throne in the presence of God. And he right now is interceding for me, interceding for you. Lolita, he's interceding for you. He's calling your name to our heavenly Father right now. And he's made a guarantee. He said this, I will never allow you to be tempted above that which you're able to bear. But I will. Somebody say, I will. I will with that temptation. With all the mess you're in, I will make a way for your escape. Stand with me, please, all over the house. Yes, there's an opportunity. Yes, there's a, a, a time where the church can make a real, real testimony in this world. And I don't know about you, but I'm determined. I'm determined to be used of God to speak positively for our God in this negative, pessimistic mess that we're in right now. And with all the deceitfulness that's going on around us, for whatever reason, whatever purpose, I know one thing is faithful, and that is our God and His Word. And He will never, ever break His promise. He'll never break His Word. He'll always be faithful, and He'll always be a place for us to run to. Signs of the time are everywhere. There's a brand new feeling in the air. Lift your eyes upon the eastern sky. Lift up your head. Redemption draweth nigh. Redemption draweth nigh. I'm telling you, one of these great days, the Lord is going to come. His power is going to strike this earth. Sleeping saints are going to arise from their slumber. And the power of God is going to shake this earth and shake this world. And a power is going to come to our aid. And we'll be lifted. Gravitation will lose its power. And we will ascend to the presence of the Lord Jesus in the air. That could be today, friend. That could be today. And that old song we used to sing, And I want to be ready to meet Him in glory land. I want to be ready to meet Him, don't you? I want, I want to do what his word says. Be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. I'm ready for him to come this morning. I hope he comes today. If he doesn't come today, I hope he comes tonight. If he doesn't come tonight in the morning, I'm going to get up looking for him to come. I am. Don preached so eloquently last Sunday morning. Let us go over to the other side. Praise God, there's another side to this. This is not it. Look, somebody now and say, this is not it. This is not it. Praise God. God's got it in the palm of his hand. God's got tomorrow. God's got me. He's got you. He's got the whole wide world in his hand. He's got you and me, brother. 
You and me, sister. He's got this whole world in his hands. No matter what myocardial, I got it right, didn't I, Doc? Hey, praise God. I told him a few minutes ago, I said, you may have to help me preach because there's some terms I don't know if I got it right. Myocardial. That means you may have some heart issues attached to this that are residual that stay with you for a long time. But don't, don't worry about that. That's just a piece of information because another guy right behind him said that's not true. That's not true. That's rare. That's, very, that's so remote it's not even worth mentioning. Hey, don't you love for somebody to tell you something and right on the heels of it somebody tell you something different? Don't you love it? Hey, there's one thing you can trust when you read and hear it. That's God's Word. God's Word. End. When shall the end come? The end. The end of the age. I will go with you till the end of the age. The end of all things is at night hand. Was Jesus said. End. I sometimes get to watching that science channel. Do you ever watch that? And they talk about us being a projectile that is being hurled through the universe at some unbelievable amount of speed. And all of this possibility of colliding with asteroids and all this kind of stuff. And then they tell us that they're 500 million years old. But watch out, we may hit something. But we've been 500 million years, hadn't hit anything. But watch out, because we might hit some. So you just scratch your head. But I know who holds tomorrow. And I know who holds my hand. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand. But I know, thank God I know, who holds tomorrow. And I know who holds my feeble hand. Praise God. Tomorrow I'm going to get up saying, this is the day the Lord hath made. I'm going to live this day in faith. I'm going to walk this day. In joy and gladness, I'm going to serve the Lord and love Him. He is the strength of my life. Hallelujah. I'm in His hands. Whatever happens, all of my times are in His hands. And I am what I am by the grace of God. Boy, that'd be a good motto for you. I am what I am by the grace of God. I'll be what I'm going to be by the grace of God. Glory to God. Thank you, God, for letting us be in your house today. And thank you for this feeling of gladness I have in my heart today. I also have a determination, God, that Harvest will be a church where God's name is proclaimed. It'll be a church where we're saying to a lost world, Jesus is right for whatever's wrong. Harvest will be a place, God, where we can come in from all of the surfeiting and the overcharging and we can humble ourselves in the sight of God and receive strength from His hand and love and grace. I ask you to touch this congregation, God. Go with them from this place to their homes and families. Give us an enjoyable day today, O Lord, and help us, God, to resolve that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No weapon shall come nigh my dwelling. No weapon will be fashioned that will defeat me. No pet pandemic, no epidemic, no 
kind of virus. In Jesus' name, I'm going to walk in faith. And I'm going to believe God for the positive outcome. In Jesus' name, dismiss us from this place. Not your sight. In the name of Jesus, amen.